Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Well, we're in Romans 5, chapter 5, verse verse 12 here. And uh, this this is really one of the pivotal chapters in Romans. I mean, he's really making a transition to really bring to our minds what it means to be declared righteous before God. And we talk about that. This is the results of your justification. And then he's going to talk here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He's going to be, show the basis on which God is able to justify you, right? Because again, one of the things we need to understand about God, this is very important, all of God's attributes, justice, righteousness, mercy, faith, all that, or grace, all of that, they're all in perfect harmony and balance. You can't split God apart. God does not have certain attributes that are in conflict with other attributes. All right? God's attribute of perfect, holy justice is in complete harmony with his attribute of love, mercy, and grace. Okay? They're not in conflict. In us, they're in conflict, right? We have a sense of conflict. You know, we love our kids, but there's a conflict when you have to dispense justice. All right? God, it's not that way with God. God is perfectly in harmonious balance. We call that the simplicity of God. You can't split God into independent pieces, parts, attributes that are somehow amalgamated and fit together to make it work. Okay, so the question then is, how can God be perfectly holy, just, righteous, 100%, but yet, at the same time, justify anybody? From the human perspective, that doesn't make any sense. We would have to say, well, God's got to set apart his righteousness and justice in order to do that. Or the attribute of God's love has to override his attribute of righteousness and justice. That's how we look at it. And Paul's going to try to talk here about, in this section here, about this concept of this is the way God does it, and the key word, it's not in this passage, but really works out, is substitution. Substitution. Okay? Now, if you looked at the um, American Gospel CDs that I have, that's really under fire today. Dan, you looked at those. I mean, it'll scare you. By the way, I think you still have it, don't you? Okay. Doesn't matter. It's, it's making its way around. Um, yeah. It is very, it is, it's, it's very interesting and disconcerting to see that. That this idea that somehow God would send his son to die for me is somehow evil. God would never do that. He would never send Jesus to die for me. That's, that, that he's abusing his son. That's child abuse. In fact, someone has co- labeled it cosmic child abuse. But yet, that's what Paul talks about here. Therefore, verse, five, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is 
how sin entered the world. How did it enter the world? Through one man. Note it did not say through one woman. All right? Sorry, it's not Eve's fault. Whose fault is it? Adam. Adam knew what he was doing. Was Eve deceived? Sure she was. Adam went in with his eyes wide open. And what this is saying here is that sin entered the world, and when it entered the world, it brought death, which means death spreads to all men because all have sin. This is the federal headship view. What does it mean by that, federal headship? Christ, or not Christ, in this case, Adam is the representative of all of humanity. Was there any humanity when Adam was there? He was it, right? He and Eve. He represented all of us. Now, again, there's going to be this little thing in the back of your head. Well, that's not fair. You know, I wasn't there. I wouldn't have eaten of the tree. Yeah, you would have eaten of the tree. Okay? But Paul's going to make a contrasting argument here between Adam and Christ. And notice what happened. Death entered, uh, sin entered in the world. Was there sin before Adam ate the fruit? In the universe. In the universe. In the universe. In the universe, yes. Satan, right? Yeah, it's not a trick question. Satan was, so somewhere in there, yeah, that's one of those trick questions on a test that I give that people get wrong. And I, yeah. We're all trying to trick you a little bit. Um, yeah, but, but the whole point there, there was sin in the universe. So somewhere between the seventh day of creation when God rested and the, fall, and the fall of humanity, there was the fall of Satan. We're not told when. We're not told how long. We just know what happened. Okay? Satan fell. And so there was sin in the universe, but not sin in the world. Right? It was a perfect world. And when Adam sinned, what happened? Then sin came into our world. And death through sin. So where did death come from? Did God originally design and create Adam and Eve to die? No. Oh, he knew it was going to happen, right? We, we understand that. But that was not the original design that they would die, okay? They were created immortal, but because of sin, they died. They didn't die right away, but the processes were put into place. And because of that, death spread to all men. And what sense did death spread to all men? Well, as they were the progenitors of the entire human race, they passed that <coughs> death on to all of their descendants. Which is why David said, born in sin. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. It's, it's, it's not it was sinful that he was born, it's that he's born with this, this thing. Now, this Romans 5.12, and, and put it in, the, in your back of your head, brings, brings out the, the first way in which we're all sinners. We're sinners three ways. There's three aspects to us being sinful. Okay? Aspect number one is the imputed guilt of Adam. That's what we see here. 
What does that mean? It means by virtue of you being a human being, you are the sinner, a sinner. God credits, God charges you with the sin of Adam by virtue of your birth. Now, before you say that's not fair, we've got to read the rest of the text. Just understand that. Okay? So whether you do anything or not, that little baby that's born has the imputed guilt of Adam as though that baby committed this essential, this original sin. Okay? Death passed. Death was passed on to all men because all have sinned. All right? For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Here's, the, here's going to hit the second com component of this. You're a sinner because you have the imputed guilt of Adam, but what else do you do every day? You sin. All right? Now, notice what he says here. This is very important. For until the law, sin was in the world. Was there sin in the world before the law came? Because what does the law do? What, what, what's the, in this context, what is he saying the law does? What's that? It points out the sin, okay? But what if you don't have a law? Yeah, so 200 years ago, could you be arrested for speeding? Well, yeah, probably. There's no cars. Yeah, there's no cars. There's no law for that. There's nothing. You can't break a law that doesn't exist. It's not written yet, see? And what you see here is he's saying the law was not in the world. Because, see, again, what do the, what's the Jewish readers keep thinking? They're justified by what? By keeping the law. And he said, well, until the law came, there was, there was, sin was still in the world. How do you know sin was in the world before there was law? Before law came. What's he say here? In verse 14. How do you know there was sin in the world? People died. People died. Um, until law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. The, the word there, imputed, means to charge to an account, to lay to one's charge. So although the individual acts of evil that were pointed out in the law were not credited to people's account, in a sense, they still died, which meant there's still what? Sin. And by the way, the, let's understand something. Prior to the flood and all that, did the people know what God wanted? Because Adam stuck around for 900 and some odd years, right? If you were confused about that, you could go talk to great, 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 great Grandpa Adam, and he could tell you, right? By the way, I do believe the genealogies in Genesis are right, okay? They knew. And after the flood, did people know? Well, yeah, because Shem lived into the time of Abraham. You could go talk to Shem. You could go talk to Noah. You could go talk to these people. This is not... People knew what God wanted. 
So yeah, although there wasn't a law, a legal code that they broke, there's still sin in the world because everybody died. And if nothing, they knew what sin was. Remember, God talking to Cain said, if you do the right thing, will you not also be accepted? But if not, sin crouches at your door. The crouch there is the idea of a lion ready to pounce. It's an animal ready to pounce. So you know this, what you wanted. This gives you, we're starting out by talking about three. So imputed, what's... what's Imp okay, I'll, I'll give you all three of them, then we'll, we'll okay. flesh them out. Okay. One is the imputed guilt of Adam. Two is the original pollution. And three is the acts of sin. Okay? Original pollution. Okay? But in verse 12, it's, it's the imputed guilt. We call that the federal headship. In theological terms, it's called the federal headship view. Okay? And then he says, until the law, the sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Who's Moses? Moses is the lawgiver. How do you know that there was sin in the world prior to Moses showing up? Well, everybody died. People died. And what, what, why did they die? Because they were sinful, because sin had entered the world. And death and sin brought in death, the, 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 the process of death. And I said, even over those who had not sinned, like in the likeness of the trespass of Adam. He's, here's, here's his argument in these three verses. You are a sinner because God imputes guilt to you. That is proved by the fact that you died. And, it's proved by, and, and that's true even if you did not sin like Adam sinned. You still are guilty as Adam is guilty. Because God imputed his guilt to you. The similitude there is likeness or similitude. It's sort of like uh, we didn't sin like Adam sinned, but we are sinners because we have that imputed guilt of Adam on us. Transgression is a violation of a the law there. That's an interesting. It's parabasis. It just means to violate a law. What was the law that Adam violated? Don't eat of that tree. Adam did. Death reigned. Disobedience. And I think one of our problems today is that we, I, you, me, we don't understand how bad sin is. We categorize sins in categories, don't we? There are good sins, there are bad sins. We certainly don't. And really, all the bad sins are what other people do, not what I do. See? Yeah, they're the, they're the things other people are doing. And when you look at the original sin that Adam did, it wasn't theoretically that big a deal from our perspective, right? He certainly wasn't a mass murderer. He wasn't an adulterer. There's nobody else. He didn't do... Yeah, he didn't do any... <coughs> but what he did was violate God's commandment. 
And from God's perspective, a violation is a violation no matter what's teeny, eensy, weensy, or big. You're still in the same boat. We just don't we don't we don't see sin that way. I hate to say it, we just don't. It, it never occurred to me until now that from my little pitiful human perspective, it makes far more sense that sin would have started when Cain killed Abel, not when somebody ate the wrong fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was bad, right? Murder. It's bad. Because we qualify sin. Right. Yeah, because we qualify it. You know? right. Now, is there is there in in a sense a qualification of sin in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, there is because certain sins have a greater impact on society and others than other sins do. All right, so the penalties are different, right? But from God's perspective, it's all imperfection. It's all sin. It's all wickedness. And what is sin? Sin is an exaltation of self, right? What was, Ad, what was Adam's... When Adam ate that fruit, what, in essence, what was he telling God? I know more than you do. You're holding out on me. I don't trust you. You're holding out on me. Yeah. But what happens here is that when we sin, underlying, underneath all of our sin, when we sin, we're basically saying, my way is better than God's way. Whatever that looks at, like, okay, whatever that is, I have a better idea, a better spin on this than God has on this. I don't trust Him. Okay? Death reigned. And it said, it rained even those who had not sinned like Adam sinned, like in the trespass, which is a type of him who was to come. Now, he's now going to make this connection in to Christ, who is the type. Adam is a type. Now, what is a type in the Bible? This, that's a theological construct that we have. Tupas, type. It's a shadow, it's a picture, it's an illustration, okay? And it usually is meant to illustrate a singular component. It, it's, yeah, so, well, archetype is a little different in the, th in the, in the um, psychological yeah, yeah. construct. In the Bible, a type is, for example, Adam is a type of Christ in that as Adam sinned and death passed upon all, when Christ did the right thing, righteousness can go on all. That's the type that's being made here. There's also a type of the, um, the sacrifice in Israel, the, the Passover lamb, is a type of Christ, right? As that lamb died for the sin of that family, even so, Christ died for us. That's a type. Was the bronze serpent a type? The Bible points that out, right? What did Christ say? As Moses lifted up the serpent in even the wilderness, even so I must be lifted up, that if you look on me, you can be saved. All right? Now, one of the things you got to be careful of when you go to typology is you can't make everything a type. All right? You can't say, well, this is, you know, sometimes people stretch it. All right? Where you can make a type is when the Bible points it out as a type. Which leads me to ask, is the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the communion, is that a type? 
Yes, because he said it was. Christ said it was, right? Christ said that was a type. He said, in remembrance of me, broke my bread, you know, drink my, yeah. Which I think would be really wonderful if I know with our modern sanitary issues, but the best way to do communion is pass around a loaf of bread and break off a piece. That would, my body which is broken for you. Some places still do that. Yeah. He did it one time and it freaked everybody out. And it's like, but that's what you did. That's the way you did it in the New Testament. He, I, notice what? He didn't have this big gallon cup that he passed around and everybody took a sip. We didn't go that far at least, but you know. But the whole point there is th there are types in the Bible and, and a type is pointed out, I think, in Scripture. It's not just willy-nilly make anything a type. This is defined as a type. Paul says it was. So what is it, what's he established in Romans 5, 1 through 5, 12, 13, and 14? And when Adam sinned, Adam was acting as the federal representative of all of humanity. So we all share in his guilt. You can sit there and say, that's not fair, I don't like it. That's just the way it is. Because there's going to be another good part of that coming up. All right? So that's the first thing. Yeah. Still born in sin. We're all born in sin. See, there's a view today. Oh. Yeah. So that's the part of the sin that we may not make a connection to. Because like you were saying, we don't really want to take responsibility for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because the sin that everyone was in part with was the, um, the fact that we see things more like God does. Right. They had a very simple choice mm -hmm. to obey or not obey. Yeah. And why is it that they saw themselves as naked? You ever ask that question? The eyes of both of them were open and they saw they were naked. Why that? Why? Why that? Because there is that same question can be asked of babies and toddlers or ask about babies and toddlers. They're just crawling around, you know, drooling and cute and butt naked, and they are innocently unaware. Uh, it's not until around three years old that the human being becomes aware that being without clothes is different. But why? Why did? Why in? These are the kinds of questions I ask when I read this stuff. Yeah. Why, why didn't God just say, the eyes of them, both of them were open and they understood good and evil? Next verse. Why did he say, and they saw they were naked? 
Because it took on a different meaning than it had before. So apparently, what, what effect did sin have on them? Their eyes were open. They understood good from evil. But why, why was the first thing they thought of, wait a minute, we're naked? I have a theory on that, but I'm just... Face of God, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they sin, and now Sin, right? I think that's one of the prime examples of yeah. what sin is. I think, I, you know, I, w the way I would understand it, I would agree with that, that for the first time in their life, they were aware of themselves. A self-awareness. I mean, prior to the fall, you know, Adam was not going around worrying about how he felt and that kind of stuff. What was he concerned about? What was he enjoying? Creation and his time with Eve and talking to Eve and she was enjoying her husband. And, you know, there was no, there was no um, self, I don't want to call it, I'm not going to say self-awareness because self-awareness, of course, they knew they were Adam and that was Eve and they knew I'm not going there. But there was no consciousness of, of being, of needing to hide something, of holding something back. And that's one of, I think, the endemic problems of our fallenness is that there's a lot of things about me I really don't want you all to know. I really don't. And why do I want you to not know them? Two reasons. I'm ashamed of them. But you couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle If I knew everything about all of you people, I couldn't handle it. I'm not ready for that. And I, I, I'm ashamed of some of the things I've done over the years. And thoughts I had. And, you know, that, that's part of this thing. And I think when we get to heaven, one of the things about being in the eternal state is that, is that I'm not going to have anything I need to hide from you all. There's no, there's no, hiding is over. There's not going to be anything in me that I'm afraid, I'm afraid to let you know about. Especially to God, right? Because that was the problem. When everybody found themselves in the face of God, in the presence of God, what did they have an overwhelming understanding of? I'm screwed. Realize that they're naked. And they're naked like a 
metaphorical process. That they are their their guilt, their sin is totally fair. Yeah. And that was something that was really I think that was why they hid themselves. They were afraid. They were ashamed. There's something about me I don't want you to know because if you know that, you're not going to like me. You're going to think ill of me. And I'm ashamed of it. I don't want you to know it. Yeah. They weren't. Because all of a sudden the shame comes in. And whenever you see somebody in the presence of God in the Bible, they fall down in, in terror. You know, like... like Isaiah says, damn me, literally, the, the Hebrew is damn me, I'm done, this is not good. I am a man of unclean lips. Now he's got the cleanest lips probably in all of Israel, because he's a prophet of God, right? But compared to God, what kind of lips does he have? Yeah. Absolutely. It was not okay because all of a sudden now all this shame, this guilt, this I want to hide myself from you, I'm guilty. And, and they were ashamed that they had done this. Adam was ashamed that he had done this. And, and of course, theirs which said they also became aware of good and evil. Yes. Yes. So that, as you say, that would be passed, should have been passed on. That's passed on. That pollution is passed on. But there is good and evil, even though there wasn't law for law. Yeah, there was good, there was evil. Now, we didn't have the strictures of the law knowing all of the things, but there were, they certainly knew that. I'm sorry, you were going to... There was, uh, in Genesis 3, uh, right after their eyes were opened, it says here in verse uh, 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and a man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. If you think about it, that's kind of like the, like the second sin. Sense. Well, why did they hide themselves? Because they weren't there, just like you They were afraid. Yeah. They were afraid. Um, there was something they... Now, you know, again, God asked, where are you? It's not because he couldn't find them, right? He knew, he knew everything was going on. Yeah. They were afraid because they were naked, because now God can see them. <clears throat> and I think that nakedness is not just physical nakedness, but their <clears throat> emotional nakedness. They're open. See, That's the harder nakedness, right? Yeah, I mean, do you really want to know my heart? No, you don't. And now God can know that they sinned. Yeah. And that's what's so, to me, that's what's so wonderful about heaven. In heaven, there's not going to be anything in me there's going to be nothing in me that I'm afraid to let you know about. There's no, there's no hint of selfishness or, or self-desire or lust or none of that is there. And there's nothing that I'm afraid that God would see in me, right? We don't, we don't comprehend that, I don't think. We don't get that. Just how great that's going to be. Yeah. They didn't know there's the only way you know what's good is that you know that something's right. bad. 
So they didn't know that their life was good. They just enjoyed their life. Right. But to know one automatically means you have to know the other. Right. That's an interesting point. It's the knowledge of not evil. Right. The knowledge of good and, and evil. evil. That's an interesting point because most people don't think of it that think way. Of that. Prior to that, and that's what we say, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were innocent. They had not done anything good. They were not righteous, but they were not evil. Follow? What God does to us now is he not only brings us back to innocent, he adds on to us what? Righteousness. Much more. Much more. So that's the point here is that Sin entered the world because of Adam's sin. And when Adam then and Eve were the progenitors of the human race, that pollution was passed on to all of us. So you're a sinner because, number one, you have the imputed guilt of Adam. You also have a pollution of the flesh. What is the flesh? The Bible talks about flesh. You're fallenness. Okay, where does that sin nature reside? In your body. Okay, now let's understand something. Are desires necessarily evil? No, they're not. Desire is not evil. Okay, um, thirst is not an evil thing. Hunger is not an evil thing. Being tired is not an evil thing. Sexual attraction is not an evil thing. What makes it evil? Wrong application of it. Was it wrong for Christ to be hungry after 40 days? Most people are hungry after 40 minutes, right? He spent 40 days. Was it wrong? No, it wasn't wrong. What would have been wrong? Now, theoretically, as the creator of the universe, could he made a loaf of bread and had a ham sandwich or whatever he wanted there. Theoretically, yes. But what is the illustration? Well, probably not ham, probably turkey or something. Well, he's God, right? He could do anything he wants, you know. But the whole point there is he could have made a sandwich. He could have had a loaf of bread. He could have, he could have created something. But the point is, in his incarnation, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And it would have been wrong for him to do it with the wrong motive. Because if he had done it, what was he saying about God the Father? If Christ would have made a loaf of bread, what would he be saying about the provision of God the Father? I don't trust him. He's not taking care of me. Where's, where's dinner? It goes back to that. So I'm a, I'm a sinner because I'm polluted, because I have a fallenness, because... I have these desires, and these desires at times draw me in the wrong way. <clears throat> they draw me in the wrong direction, don't they? Romans 5.15, but the gracious gift is not like the transgression. Gracious gift there, <clears throat> free gift. Doron, free gift. Charisma, I think it's charismata or Doron, one of those. It's free gift. For if by the transgression of the one, who's the one? 
Adam. Transgression, <coughs> transgression there, proptima, means to fall, stumble, deviate from, trip over. Adam tripped over. He deviated from God's word, right? It's not like the transgression, for by the transgression of the one, the many died. Now, we've got to understand something about many and all here. This is a literary construct. Okay? The many there is really what? In Adam, how many died? All. Paul uses many, right? He's trying to make a contrast. So don't get hung up on, well, there are some that didn't die then, right? Now, we could take the many as, well, Enoch didn't die, and there's a couple of ex you know, exclusions throughout human history, but by and large, everybody else. The point is, in Adam, all died. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by, gra by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. In Adam, by his transgression, his stumbling, we all fell. So by the obedience of one, Christ, the grace can do what? Abound. Abound is an interesting word. To exceed, to go way beyond measure. Remember our ice bucket challenge? God's grace does not just, you know, just enough to get you back. poured out. Not only does it reverse the original sin to bring you back up to innocence, it goes way beyond that. It's abounding grace. It's not just a little dribble of grace. Um, as an Adam all died, it is true even of Enoch because it's not talking about physical, it's talking about spiritual death. Mm-hmm. So spiritually, Enoch and Elijah and whoever uh, spiritually died. Yeah. They all spiritually died. So it's whether Enoch, for example, physically died. He did physically die, but spiritual death is the most important aspect yeah. of death. Mm -hmm. But listen, this word abound there is an interesting. Super bounding <coughs> grace. Way beyond the fall. The many died in Adam, the superabounding grace is can abound to who? The many. That's why you're doing many, many. He's doing a a literary construct. Many died, many can be made alive. Because we know what? Not everybody is what? Not everybody's redeemed. So the many in the first part is all. The many in the second part of that verse is many. It's, we just understand that he's contrasting it. That's all he's doing. Because be, he's going to use the word all in a later verse here that contrasts it as well. Okay? But here's the point. Death reigned. Sent into the world through Adam's disobedience. We're all sinners. We have the imputed guilt of Adam. We have the original pollution. And because of the original pollution, we then commit acts of sin. You don't teach children to sin. It comes naturally to them. 
There is an idea in theology, and we're out of time here, but there's an idea in theology that every human being is born innocent until you make a decision. The problem is all 40 billion people that have lived so far have made what kind of decision? To sin. So that's sort of a nonsense argument. So, so we'll pick up here next week. Got through a few verses. Thank you, Father, for today, and thank you for um, teaching us. And um, thank you for the grace that superabounds. We look at this passage and we think how unfair it is that we are sinners because of what Adam did, but yet, theoretically, it's not fair that we're righteous because of what Christ did. But because of your grace, your grace has abounded to us. It's just not only brought us back to a relationship with you, but it's abounded way beyond that. Thank you for that. And again, thank you for this time of study. And help us to ponder these truths in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.